Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have the away from you to the disgrace of Egypt. And so that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan. Hear what the Spirit say to the church.
comes into Christ from a human point of view, we no longer we know him no longer that way. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses on against them, and trusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
fellow welcome sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the care of, my, of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in his living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pots that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours, but we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours is dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord.
story before. Yes? The scribes and the Pharisees were grumbling about Jesus' habit of hanging out to the sinners. And so Jesus tells a parable, an allegory, a now famous story of an irresponsible son who squanders half of his father's estate on destructive and wild living. A father who forgives quickly and joyfully, welcoming his lost son home. And an older brother who is indignant about the generous reception of his scoundrel of a brother. To him, there is nothing fair about this situation. And the lack of perceived fairness often irritates hardworking, responsible people. People like those Pharisees who were grumbling about Jesus' habits of hanging out with those whose sins were known to the public. Now often when I read this or any other iconic Bible story, I go through a somewhat predictable process. First, I skim through it with the impatience of reading something I've already read many times. And then, often unexpectedly, the story touches my life in a new way. These stories challenge us to grow in awareness of our own sins and limitations, in mercy and grace, in humility and in love. And that is never easy, which is probably why the first step is almost always avoidance. Oh, that old story. There is nothing new to say about that old story. But maybe it's not about saying something new. It could be about just taking another long drink from the living, life-giving waters of Jesus' brilliant, purposeful so let's look ever more deeply into this story together. And let's listen to it with two people who have spent many hours and a lot of their life listening into Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. These two people are the Baroque artist, Rembrandt, and the 20th century theologian, Henry Nouwen. Rembrandt painted the return of the prodigal son in 1669 near the end of his life. The painting depicts the father embracing his returned son with clear compassion, love, and tenderness. The son is on his knees. His head rests against his father's chest. One shoe is worn so thin that his heel is bare. The other shoe has fallen off completely and lies next to him. The son has journeyed along and hard and has now utterly surrendered to the comfort and embrace of his father. The gospel tells us that he, presumably the father, but maybe the son, or maybe both of them, he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. It is clear that Rembrandt has caught a moment immediately following a running, embracing, kissing, joy-filled kind of reunion. In the painting, four people stand around the united parent and child. One of them is believed to be the eldest son, even though the story tells us that he is in the field at the moment of reunion. He stands there in the picture frame, 
annoyed but stoic, judgmental but quiet, nearby but miles away. Now more than 200 years after Rembrandt captured Jesus' parable in oil paint, Henry Nowen saw this painting in poster form on the wall of a colleague's office in France. He was overcome by emotion and set out to spend more time with Rembrandt's depiction of the prodigal son, eventually finding himself in St. Petersburg, where he was able to spend a couple of days with the actual eight-foot-tall painting. Nowen then wrote a book about the prodigal son, using his experience with the painting as a jumping-off place, and the title of the painting as the title of his book. One of Nowen's observations of the painting has to do with the four bystanders that I mentioned earlier. While they depict people in the household to which the prodigal son has just returned, they also point to two other groups. The first century group of people listening to Jesus tell this parable for the first time, the scribes, the Pharisees, and those gathered around Jesus, and the 21st century group of people listening to Jesus' parable now, us. Now it alludes to how easy it is for us in the church to be bystanders. We observe God's favor toward those we feel are less worthy or less theologically correct or less of whatever it is that we expect them to be. And we feel indignant. We want things to be fair. But God's mercy and grace are not always fair in human terms. There is a wideness to them. Judgment aside, we are also the bystanders in the painting when we are just looking on at the story, looking on at the story of human brokenness and of God's grace and mercy. We tell the story. We wonder about it. We write about it. We talk about it. We study it. But now it wonders, and so do I, do we actually step into the center of the story and kneel down and let ourselves be held by a forgiving God? It is Lent. And perhaps this is the time to get out of our heads and our judgments and step into that totally vulnerable place, on our knees, clearly broken by our own mistakes and weaknesses and those of others, yet just as clearly made whole again when we have the courage to surrender to the love of God. Maybe Lent is about first seeing the places where we have become indignant oldest siblings, and distant pontificators of God's theoretical love, and seeing that that is self-righteousness. It is a destructive and false stance. And then seeing the places where we are actually quite broken. We are the ones squandering that which has been put into our care. Our actions do sometimes cause harm. At times we feel wounded, inadequate, shameful, angry, and utterly lost. We need God. 
God is our origin and our home, and we need to return home and drop to our knees, completely aware of our need for grace. We need to fall into the arms of the one who made us and who rejoices in our return again and again, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've been up to. I think maybe when we regularly find the courage to step into the center of the story and pour ourselves out at the feet of God and fully experience the love and mercy and renewal that awaits us there, then we somehow become more equipped to participate in the resurrection by emulating the merciful parent, by focusing not on all the faults of others, but on the transformative love of God waiting to flow through us and into the world through our choice to be merciful towards others. And when mercy becomes our habit, I think we can more fully believe in the mercy which God shows us. And we will go back to that well of mercy again and again, not denying our brokenness, but naming it, waking up, and journeying home all over again, arriving with worn-out shoes and sore feet and broken hearts to the reliable arms of God. Let us pray. Loving God, strengthened by your gentle ways, May we find the courage to step from the sidelines into the center of your story. May we find the strength to go deeper into your presence. May we discover and rediscover your joyful reception of us as we take you in at the communion rail, as we speak to you in the silence of our hearts, and as we allow you to transform our lives in the light of your inevitable resurrection. Amen.
ask your prayers for God's people throughout the world, for Michael, our presiding bishop, for Alan and Gail, our bishops, for this gathering, and for all ministers of the In the Anglican cycle of prayer, we give thanks and pray for the Diocese of Bathurst, New South Wales, Australia, for Justin, Archbishop of Canterbury, and for reconciliation in the worldwide Anglican community. In our diocesan cycle of prayer, we give thanks and pray for the ministries of All Saints Church, Dorchester, St. Mark's Church, Dorchester, St. Mary's Church, Dorchester, Epiphany School, Dorchester, and the Brotherhood of St. Andrew. Pray for the church. I ask your prayers for peace, for goodwill among nations, and for the well-being of all people. Pray for justice and peace. I ask your prayers for the poor, the sick, and the hungry, the oppressed, and those in prison. Pray for those in any need or trouble. I ask your prayers for all who seek God for a deeper knowledge of God. Pray that they may find and be found by God. I ask your prayers for the departed, remembering especially Daniel Sandlin, father of Karen Sandlin, Betsy McMahon, mother of Peg Nell, Norman Beecher, Jane Vogel, wife of Andrea Cargarelli, Richard Gwynn, brother of Nancy Huggins, and Mike Cook. Are there others? Pray for those who have died. We remember those for whom we have been asked to pray. Nora, Scott, Barley, Ed, David Jr., Barbara, Clementine, Dave, Bob and Pat, Will, John, Anne, Ruth, Barbara, June, Tom and the Bridges family, Heather, Ingeborg, Lucas, Claire, Catherine, Marco, Susie, Joanne, Tom, John, Kathy, Kristen, Alice, Ellen, Ed, Susan, Peter, Kirsty, Eric, Gail, Jim, Wynn, Harry, Aliana, Wynn and Jenny, Spencer and Louisa, Olive, Deborah, Edie, those without jobs, those serving in the military, all who work for peace, and all, all those suffering as they flee war-torn countries. Are there others? I invite your prayers and intercessions at this time, either silently or Praise God for those in every generation in whom Christ has been honored. Pray that we may have grace to glorify Christ in our own day.